Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, November 5th. I'm Carolina Saras, and these are today's headlines. The presidential election is still undecided. So far, neither candidate clearing the 270 electoral votes needed to win the White House as unrest unfolds across several major cities. The Trump campaign disputing results in Wisconsin, threatening to ask for a recount and filing legal challenges in the key battleground states of Michigan, Pennsylvania and Georgia. All this as the nation faces its greatest health crisis with 100,000 new coronavirus cases reported in the U.S. overnight, the highest number of cases in a single day. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We start today with the 2020 election still undecided. Votes are still being counted in key states, each candidate with a recent teen margins in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia and Nevada. Former Vice President Biden ahead with 253 electoral votes, President Trump with 213. And we continue with more. Meanwhile, Democrats are cautiously optimistic with how the presidential results are trending as Americans are taken to the streets demanding transparency. Andrea Linares has the latest. The path to 270 electoral votes narrows for Joe Biden after winning Michigan and Wisconsin. I'm not here to declare that we've won, but I am here to report when the count is finished, we believe we will be the winners. The Trump campaign calling for a recount in Wisconsin. Biden's victory there is less than a percentage point, virtually the same margin Trump won there in 2016. And a spotlight on the Southwest, as both presidential campaigns view Arizona with its 11 electoral votes as a must win, and the state continues its count. We want to make sure that every vote is counted, and that's, that's what we're focused on right now. The Trump campaign also announcing legal challenges regarding absentee ballots and more access for campaign observers to ballot counting in Michigan, Georgia and Pennsylvania. We're going to win Pennsylvania, but they're trying to cheat us out of it. The president currently leads in the Keystone state, but there are more than 800,000 ballots yet to be tallied. Every vote is going to count. I'm going to fight like hell to protect the vote of every Pennsylvanian. This plays out as Americans grow uneasy. In Detroit, chaos breaking out at one of the counting locations. Dozens chanting, stop the count. A similar scene in Phoenix, Arizona. Trump supporters swarmed a building in Maricopa County where officials are trying to count ballots. With tension growing, protests now emerging across the country from coast to coast. The president hasn't been seen since his brief speech after election night. He's been behind closed doors inside the White House, but he's been active on social media, taking to Twitter to express his anger and frustration over ballot counting, saying any vote that came in after election day should not be counted. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, now back to you. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. Meanwhile, President Trump is lashing out, demanding the vote count to stop in Pennsylvania, where he's leading. Edwin Pitti is following the news from the White House. Edwin, what is the latest? Hi, Carolina. Right after a long period of silence here at the White House from President Donald Trump, today he woke up tweeting one more time. 
In the last couple of minutes, the president tweeting stop the count and also stop the fraud. But he also sent another tweet that took Twitter, the social media company, to label his tweet for misleading, for having misleading information. And I'm going to quote that tweet. The president wrote, all of the recent Biden claim states will be legally challenged by us for voter fraud and state election fraud. And today, at some point, Carolina, the president made it to the Oval Office. And while he was there, his campaign re-election re campaign in Nevada, making claims of discrepancy in many sectors, they said that over 10,000 people ended up voting in Nevada that don't live there anymore. Also saying that people walk home with 18 ballots. And also that they haven't been able to compare signatures expressing all of the concerns that they have right now. And by President Trump continues to call for the voting count to stop Vice President uh, Biden saying that every single vote needs to be counted. Of course, we're going to remain here at the White House to keep bringing you the latest on this day that we could expect to see results. But many experts believe that we could know tomorrow who will be the next president of the United States. Reporting live in the White House, Edwin PT, your news, Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that information, Edwin PT. And as we mentioned earlier, President Trump's campaign is suggesting it may ask for a recount in Wisconsin. It is allowed only if the margin is within 1%, but the candidate has to cover the cost. Pedro Rojas is in Milwaukee with the latest. Pedro. Carolina, as you said, definitely the process is already ongoing inside this courthouse, especially for those thousands of votes that were issued by mail-in ballots here in the, in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, the Trump campaign has complained about those, especially because overnight, the night of uh, when the morning of the 4th of November, over 160,000 votes were counted that were mail-in ballots. This is what Rudy Giuliani, the attorney for the president, says. And let me also add that this isn't happening just here. We have exactly the same lawsuit in Wisconsin, where exactly the same thing happened. Except in Wisconsin, mysteriously, at 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning, about 120,000 ballots appeared. Oh, here come these ballots. Well, we have no idea if they really are ballots. We have no idea if they're signed, if they're postmarked properly. If it isn't just the same person who submitted 100,000 ballots, and they all got counted. This is the way they intend to win. Inside, local officials are reviewing all these ballots. It's a process that could last several days. It's called canvassing, and it's going to last here at least 10 days. After all of that process is said and done, then the state will, what will, call what is, will do what is called the certification of the election, and then Officially, the numbers will be released at that point. Joe Biden could be declared the official winner. So far, it's known as the projected winner of the state. But the separation between the two candidates is only 20 percent. And if that, and if that number narrows to a, a, best, a less than 1 percent, still the state can go into a recount process. Now, all of this is happening in the eyes of possible po protesters here in the next few days and also the eyes of possible lawyers from the Trump campaign campaign showing up here in Milwaukee to review what is taking place right now inside of this courthouse in Milwaukee. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Pedro, for that live report. And in other legal challenges in Georgia, a court has dismissed a lawsuit filed by the Trump campaign. That lawsuit was asking courts to ensure state laws were followed on accounting 
absentee ballots, the Trump campaign and the Republican Party of Georgia filed a lawsuit in the state Wednesday, alleging that officials in a Democratic-leaning county were counting ballots that were received after polls closed on Tuesday. The judge did not provide any explanation for his decision. Now, police in Portland, Oregon, arrested at least 11 people Wednesday. The unified command of the Portland police say they believe one suspect threw a Molotov cocktail at officers. According to authorities, deputies confiscated a rifle with a full ammunition magazine at the time of the arrest. The spokesman also said deputies found additional magazines, an improvised explosive device, and a knife. Governor Kate Brown activated the Oregon National Guard in response to the protests. Also in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, demonstrators are demanding officials count every vote as Pennsylvania's ballots continue being tallied. Video shows demonstrators walking down Market, Market Street holding a banner reading, count every vote. The protest comes in response to President Trump's claims, saying he had won the election before all the votes were counted. A group of protesters in Colorado claiming to be anti-fascists marched to the state capitol building. At one point, some protesters burned a Trump and a thin blue line flag with a flare. Police say they arrested four people on charges of criminal mischief, assault and weapons violations. The Trump campaign has turned their efforts to legal challenges in several states that will decide the election. And to better understand, we are joined by Abdul Desmouni, founder of the Young Blacks Lawyers Organization Coalition. Thank you for your time today. Tallies in states like Michigan, Georgia, and Pennsylvania are tight. What is the strategy here from the Trump campaign in filing these lawsuits around the country? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. You know, I think uh, it's important to note that the Trump campaign has uh, telegraphed this as its strategy from day one. Uh, they telegraphed this uh, attempt to disqualify votes that they perceive as being votes for their opponent. And I think it's important for us to understand uh, that that's borne out by the fact uh, of precisely where these legal challenges are being raised. They're being raised in states that right now um, are very competitive and as legally cast votes are legally counted, these states are moving toward uh, their opponent. And, uh, you know, so, so this is part and parcel of the legal strategy that we've seen telegraphed from the Trump campaign from day one. But I think it's important for us to be mindful that that's not how democracy is supposed to work. And that's not how the law works. You actually have to have a basis in law and fact for these challenges. And from what I can tell, uh, there is little, uh, if any, basis in law and fact. The Trump campaign is calling for a recount in Wisconsin. Talk to us a little bit about how that works. Absolutely. So uh, if the margin in Wisconsin is uh, under 1%, within the 1% uh, mark, um, campaigns, both campaigns have uh, the right to petition for a recount. Um, now, there's some differences in terms of who would pay for that recount, depending on where that margin is. Um, but, you know, it's well within uh, any campaign's right to petition for a recount. I think what's important for voters to note um, and listeners to note is that it's rare 
that a recount ever changes an outcome of tens of thousands of ballots. And right now, uh, the margin Wisconsin uh, sits at about 20,000 votes uh, between uh, Joe Biden uh, and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it is highly, highly unlikely that a recount would shift that outcome. And Abdul, have you seen or heard of any voter suppression issues? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think part of what it's, is important for us to note um, is that while the Trump campaign seems to be uh, invested in perpetuating this notion of voter fraud, the real force uh, in American elections is actually voter suppression and voter suppression of communities of color uh, in particular. So in this election, we saw efforts around voter intimidation. Um, we saw technical failures at polling places. We saw unconscionably long lines. And I think it's important for uh, your listeners to understand that operational failures like that, particularly when they are often concentrated in communities of color, um, are a sign of voter suppression. In this country, we have, uh, we've seen a systematic disinvestment in our elections infrastructure. Um, and we've also seen the rise since 2013 of discriminatory laws that impact uh, particular voting communities. And so while the president is talking about voter fraud, and there's really no evidence of voter fraud uh, in this election or in, really in many elections, um, the reality is that most voters confront the scourge of voter suppression. And it's important for uh, us to make sure that we're doing everything we can to fight voter suppression and create an inclusive democracy. Of course. And now, lastly, what lessons can be learned from this election cycle for mobilization and engagement amongst Black and Latino communities for the future? Absolutely. I mean, I think the most important thing uh, for us to note is that you know, often we have conversations about how do we excite and energize uh, Black voters and Latinx voters, um, young voters, first-time voters. The reality is, is that that's an important part of the conversation, and part of that is making sure that our politics is responsive to the needs and concerns of those voters. Sometimes we talk about uh, inspiring people to be a part of the process, but we don't hold ourselves accountable to making sure that our politics is responsive to their concerns. But the other part of the conversation that we really need to make sure we focus on is not just inspiring people to participate, but making sure that they are able to participate, that they are able to participate freely and fully in our elections. And so it's important that we do what we can to fight felon disenfranchisement laws, to fight discriminatory voter ID laws, and to fight the landscape of voter suppression laws that really uh, challenge people's ability to participate in our democracy. It was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Abdul Dosunmu of the organization Young Black Lawyers Organizing. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. And joining us today to discuss the election and the future of the country are two young activists on opposite sides, Hilario Yanez, a Trump supporter, and Jamie Margolin, a climate activist who initially backed Senator Bernie Sanders. Welcome to both of you. Let's begin with the election. Vice President Biden appears to be closer to the finish line. Hilario, what are your thoughts on how everything has been playing out since Election Day? Yeah, make no mistake, at the end of the day, I am going to respect the president of the United States. doesn't matter if it's Biden or, or Trump. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, I want the best for our president. But make no mistake, this democracy, this election has caused a lot of uncertainty. And it's kind of 
pretty embarrassing being that we're America that we have to wait days and days and days to figure out who's our winner. I think for the next election, we need to look at this process all over again and we cannot have something happen like this all over again, which by the way, I respect everybody's vote. I think every vote should be counted, but we cannot wait weeks and weeks afterward to figure out who's the uh, the winner. Now, Jamie, I know you are a I big Bernie Sanders supporter. should abolish the Electoral College. Yes, well, according to the latest Pew Research, most of the young people say that in four years, we would like to see elections without the Electoral College. Is that something you think, Jamie? Yes, the Electoral College should be abolished because it, it, it was actually instituted to take power away from the people. The original founding fathers did not want um, fair and equal people power. They really wanted um, to be able to control, um, to maintain control over the population, and they didn't want a full-on democracy. Um, and so times have changed, and it's really important to abolish the Electoral College because right now Biden has won the popular vote. Hillary Clinton was winning the popular vote, popular vote. Like, there's no other... If you, I was trying to explain... Um, the Electoral College to people outside of the country. And they were like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was trying to explain. And then I realized how ridiculous I sounded. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's not majority rule. It's a weird game point system for each state. And they were like, what? Shouldn't it just be whoever gets the most votes wins? Isn't that how every democracy should work? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I felt ridiculous trying to explain it to them because it makes zero sense. It's outdated and it's there to disenfranchise the people. So the original, I really encourage people to research the original purpose of the Electoral College because um, it serves no purpose now other than to um, go against the will of the majority of the people. It's so interesting that we're all waiting on, on the results of the election when one candidate has already ahead in the popular vote. And the fact that even in 2016, Hillary Clinton won by millions, and we still have Trump, even though that's not what the majority of Americans wanted. We are now having presidents that, um, I'm sorry, that are against can, can I what the majority of Americans wanted. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think uh, we got to respect our history and our, our republic. This is a republic where we elect officials to go out there and then select the president. But I think if we look at if we always going to stand stand by on the majority rule, I think you're going to have places like California, major cities like San Francisco, L.A., Houston, uh, up in New York City, determine the overall uh, agenda for the, the majority of the Americans. And I think that that we need to be very careful. I think the the electoral college forces us to work with other states that probably don't have a voice. I think that's the beauty of our democracy here is that we can work together, even with those that and are Hilario, in the minority. And I that, think we need to work together like that. You were mentioning an agenda, Hilario. As a young Republican, what issues do you believe the president, whoever that will be, will have to address in the next four years? Absolutely. I think it's opening up the economy, fixing, getting, trying to get this uh, coronavirus under control, trying to get a vaccine. Uh, getting many Americans back to work, opening up our schools, um, because I think that's going to be the number one thing right now. Everyone's looking at And I think that's why President Trump had a great record when it came to the economy, when it came to prosperity, when it came to jobs, uh, small businesses as well, too. And so I'm kind of on the edge to see what the uh, agenda is for Biden to, to continue the lockdowns. And it's going to continue to suffer businesses. Our school our school is going to continue to be closed down. I don't think that's the direction we should go forward right now. And just by looking at well, your right reaction, now, Jamie, coronavirus what cases do you think? Are, 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 coronavirus cases are skyrocketing. Donald Trump has made it so that um, so many people have died. He has absolutely failed in, 
in addressing the coronavirus crisis. First of all, he um, initially had the information about this virus long before it got bad and decided to ignore the information, which means that he has blood on his hands. He has, He's the reason why so many people are dead. And he is denying science, not wearing masks, um, just going against what actual health officials want. He has actively been making this pandemic worse. And right now we are in a spike of coronavirus cases it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's thanks to this awful president who is who has just but can you please tell me if the, the number of de- can you please tell me the number of deaths have decreased or are they continue to skyrocket because i think we know the results i know we know that cases are going up but the number of deaths have dramatically gone down. So again, if you know there's a 99, 99% chance. Every day due to the coronavirus, but let's move on. Over 200,000 people have you met, Yes, of course, and we, we continue to see that trend moving up every single day. Now, Jamie, you mentioned science. As a climate activist, clearly that issue is very high on your agenda. What do you think needs to be a top priority, climate change? The survival of planet Earth and our existence on it should very much be a top priority. Um, The Trump administration has been slashing environmental protections left and right. And that, even for people who don't really care that much about the climate crisis, well, A, people should care about it because we're seeing more storms, more deaths due to natural disasters that are getting worse and worse and worse. But also the Trump administration has been slashing clean air rules, clean water rules, which is going to cause the deaths of many people. That is more blood on the administration's hands. And so it's incredibly important that we um, take urgent action on the climate crisis, rejoin the Paris Agreement, pass a Green New Deal, because the survival of life on Earth depends on it. We do not have time to wait to act on this crisis. And every other issue intersects with the climate crisis. We cannot um, help the economy because if, if we don't solve the climate crisis if you're someone who doesn't really care about the environment but you care about the economy what kind of economy do you think we're going to have on a collapsing planet and so many people have already died because of this crisis so many people are suffering losing their lands being devastated by hurricanes and droughts and floods and it's only getting worse we've seen the wildfires i live i'm right now I'm, i'm studying in college in new york but i'm from seattle i've lived in seattle since i was two years old and i never Ever. We never had wildfire seasons until 2017 when our entire city was coated. Amy, we in a have thick to move on a little bit, and I would like Hilario to respond to that same question on climate change. President Trump doesn't yeah. seem to believe on that, but you are part of this young generation that believes climate change is something real. Do you believe it's something that should be a mm-hmm. priority? Well, I'm in Texas, I'm in Houston, the city capital, energy capital of the world. You know, I'm all for plans that make sense and we have reasonable uh, uh, belief that it can get passed. When I hear Green New Deal, when I hear, you know, from the Democratic side, you know, big, ambitious, bold ideas like that, they sound great, but there's zero chance of getting that passed. So how can you work to change and and work towards climate change? Well, a lot of it is turning uh, coal plants into natural gas. We know there's very low emission to that. And at the end of the day, a lot of Houston jobs, Texas jobs, uh, jobs that provide uh, for the uh, petroleum uh, industry are going to get lost, are going to get hurt. And they don't, I think many of us don't understand how much these companies pay towards our education, pay our family salaries, uh, pay taxes. And so I think we need to be very careful when we try to say, when the government tries to tell you we're going to get rid of this industry because that's ultimately control. And I think ultimately we need to figure out a reasonable plan 
that can get past, that can help encounter climate change. But when you talk about Green New Deal, I think it's false promises and it's false hope. And guys, just to finish, to Jamie, are there can any issues? Yes, go ahead. But quickly, um, two on. things. One is one of the things that the climate movement is fighting for is a just transition. So training people in coal jobs and other fossil fuel jobs to join the renewable energy industry. The renewable energy industry is growing and it is going to offer so many jobs. A Green New Deal climate action is not about taking away people's jobs. It's not about forgetting about energy workers. It's about giving them new jobs and the renewable energy industry is going to need a lot of jobs. Second of all, saying that it's unrealistic to save life on Earth, they're like, how are we going to pass something to save life on earth it doesn't make sense i mean when you look at the sky is literally the wrong color when the skies are red when people are dying and you're just sitting there like well it's unrealistic to solve this we have to mobilize and we have to do everything it takes because it doesn't it costs a lot more people say oh well solving the climate crisis is expensive expensive as opposed to what as opposed to what letting everything die that doesn't make any sense and actually it is much more profitable but how are you going to control guys, China? I love talking you control to you guys Russia? for the rest of the show but we unfortunately have to go away thank you so much for your time Ilaria Yanez, Trump supporter and climate thank activist, you, thank you. Jamie Margolin. I'm so glad to see that, that you guys are so involved in your own issues thank you thank so you. much thank you And now moving on to the latest on the pandemic, the global case count has passed 48 million. And here in the U.S., cases breaking a record yesterday, surpassing 100,000 in a single day. The CDC now warning a testing strategy is needed to stop the spread. Lorraine Casares has the latest. The five highest single-day coronavirus case totals in the U.S. have all come within the past seven days, Wednesday marking the first time cases have reached six figures, with more than 102,000 infections reported, the highest since the pandemic began. The country also recording 1,097 deaths. Make no mistake, this pandemic isn't over, not by a long shot. And it's not enough for us to just know more. We have to act differently. The CDC saying more testing is needed to stop the spread, estimating 40% of people with COVID-19 show no symptoms. Dr. Robert Redfield taking to Twitter Wednesday saying, now is the time to develop a testing strategy to maximize our ability to identify the silent epidemic of asymptomatic COVID-19 infections. A report from the White House Coronavirus Task Force is warning states that there is a continued increase in cases, hospital and fatalities nationally, spreading southward from the coldest climates as the population moves indoors and cases increase exponentially. This is an absolute killer and we have got to stay on our toes. We've got to wear a mask. I mean, how big a deal is this? when it really, really gets right down to it. Most states are seeing an increase in cases, Utah reaching a breaking point. Doctors fearing they may have to start prioritizing care for patients based on age and condition. In states like Kansas, some hospitals are running out of beds. Two major hospitals, Ascension Via Christi and Wesley Medical Center, have zero ICU beds available. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, where new restrictions have been imposed, more than 2,000 inmates were released in an effort to curb the spread of COVID-19. The law passed by the state legislator in September will allow for another 1,000 people to be released from prison on a rolling basis by March. 
And Wednesday's record-breaking cases also broke a worldwide record previously held by India with more than around 100,000 cases. Until Wednesday, here in the United States, the highest single-day increase of cases was back in October 30th, just a few days ago, with 99,000 cases. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And now to Mexico, where children have been forced to abandon their studies due to the pandemic, some having to work in the streets in order to help their families. But as Gianni Aponte explains, some teachers are going the extra mile to help them. Since August, Jemima Peláez has been walking the streets of Querétaro, Mexico, to find those who have been left most vulnerable during the pandemic, working children. That's how she created the program and El Semáforo Se Aprende. You can learn by the traffic light. These are citizen volunteers who go out on the streets to provide education to children who are on the streets by traffic lights or in public places. She began with three students at one traffic light, but people have been so generous that now 50 young people teach a weekly class to more than 70 children at at least 25 traffic lights in several Mexican cities. And teachers from other countries have contacted her to join forces, although for this teacher, the stars are the children. They had to leave their homes because out of economic necessity, they moved to the city to work. So they bring a lot of desire to learn. Their students are between 2 and 13 years old, and many are migrants, Mexican or Central American. I like to color, I like to play, and I like stories. What would you like to be when you grow up? A teacher. The program survives with donations made through social networks and is already receiving help from several countries. And everything they receive is for their students, for stories, board games, and sanitizing, because none of the volunteers receive a salary. Their desire to learn is incredible, and I think that is what is contagious and drives us to keep going. They are young people with the energy seeking to eradicate the situation. Reported by Jessica Zermeño, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.